Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Wait a second, Bob. I, I, I'm not sitting in my basement. I'm not lounging on my couch with a nice beverage and a bowl of grapes talking to you through the computer. We're actually sitting in a radio studio, Bob Wankel. Crossed Up has taken the next step. We are now on 610 AM ESPN Radio Philadelphia and we're here in studio. Unbelievable that we've taken this, this step, Bob. And you know what the best part is? What's that? It's not 12.15 in the morning. That's <laughs> It's still daylight <laughs> outside, right? We can, we can see Have each other. Have all my faculties about me yeah, right now. That's yeah. right. We're not miserable. Like, you're not texting me saying, do you really want to do this, dude? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe we'll push it off till tomorrow. That stuff's not happening. We are now actually going to be doing the show uh, Mondays from 5 to 6 here on 610 ESPN Radio in Philly. And uh, it's going to be a fun thing. And there's a lot to talk about with this Phillies team. And hopefully we'll get a bunch of people to call in. one at uh, Toll-free 888-728-9941 is the number. Uh, but, Bob, we we got to really just start with the weekend because this this past weekend against a horrible Chicago White Sox team, the Phillies dropped two out of three, and it was a microcosm, I think, of the entire season. Yeah, true to form that we're talking and we're having a conversation after a, a bad loss and uh, a bad weekend. That's kind of what the form has been of our show all along, it feels like, and, and here we are again. I mean, this, um, this weekend was pretty sobering. You know, the, the Phillies had won two out of three against the Giants uh, last week at Citizens Bank Park, and they entered the series against the White Sox, a team that was 19-32 and 32 on the road coming into this series, almost 20 games out of first place in the AL Central, and... You know, there was a, a disastrous game on Friday night. Aaron Nola, you know, bounces back Saturday. And, and then they played kind of a lifeless game in the finale in the rubber match on Sunday. And I'll be honest with you, I, you, you called it a microcosm. I think that every single problem that the Phillies have was it was on full display this week. Yes. And really, they were an Aaron Nola gem on Saturday night away from being, from being swept, swept yes. by the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, the biggest, so, the biggest problem, and, and we'll get to, I know Friday night is the thing that you know, everybody talked about over the weekend and was you know, a big, big thing to this morning uh, across talk radio. But I, I will say this. The offense is, is really disappointing. I mean, really disappointing. Other than Real Muto, who's kind of turned it around here in the second half for the Phillies, there's not a redeeming quality player in the lineup for the Phillies right now. It's just all terrible. And again, this weekend, I mean, how many times? Friday night, they left the bases loaded three times. Uh, and and we're, whatever the statistic was, two for 20-something from the, the three, four, five, six hitters. Um, and then, you know, Saturday, they weren't great. They were just meh. And then... So, yeah, yeah, the two solo homers two from solo, Hoskins yeah. and, and Harper back-to-back. Right. Back. Yeah, I mean, they were 25 for 118 this weekend. They hit 212 
through yeah. three games against a staff that came into the weekend with an ERA of five. Yeah. <laughs> they faced three starting pitchers that were well over a five zero zero ERA, and they couldn't do anything with them. I mean, they scored 11 runs in 32 innings throughout the course of the three games. Um, and so we will get to Gabe, and, you know, we're going to talk about him at length, and, you know, he's kind of like the hot-button issue. But th- this team, when you look at what they did this weekend – you're talking about 23rd in slugging percentage right now, 20th in OPS, 18th in on-base percentage. They've been a complete failure and completely underwhelming from an offensive standpoint really all season. And it's just it's so frustrating because you thought if there was going to be one thing that this team would do this season, it would be mash and, and mash consistently. And it just does not materialize that way whatsoever. Yeah, and you know, we, we talked many times on the podcast uh, over previous weeks that – you know, the offense really started to turn sour after the loss of, of Andrew McCutcheon. And, and there was no doubt that he had a, a big impact to setting the table for the Phillies at the top of the lineup. And that whoever they put in his place since then has just not, uh, you know, come, come through. Cesar Hernandez was struggling and they took him out of the leadoff spot. Scott Kingery was red hot and then he went to the leadoff spot and he fell off the, fell off the map yeah. in the leadoff spot. And now they're going to try Corey Dickerson, who actually might be the the right guy he's probably the best suited to do it right I'm I'm fairly optimistic if there's one thing that you can kind of hang your hat on after this weekend you say okay you saw what he was capable of yesterday guy's a professional hitter he can get on base he gets for average has some pop I mean maybe he stabilizes the leadoff spot that's that said it's not even that won't be enough because it this goes far deeper than the fact that they they stopped getting production out of the number one spot in the lineup it goes far deeper than that because there are there are there are problems with this the way this team just approaches hitting. It's just and, and it's it's systemic, I think. You know, and that's to me it just seems like this is what the organization has preached and has wanted for two years, and we're now almost two full seasons through it, and it's like, eh, I don't know, Bob, if it's ever going to work. It's a little bit of an oversimplification to say that they live and die by the home run or that's the only thing that they care about. But you saw so many times this weekend, and it, it bared itself out, they were 5 for 26 with runners in scoring position throughout the course of the weekend. 2 for 12 on Friday night in just in what was an absolutely maddening game, right? <laughs> you mentioned it earlier, 3 yeah. through 6 were 2 for 24 combined on Friday night. 3 through 7 were 3 for 31. I mean, you're not going to win a lot of games like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, that's one game. It's kind of what we're all focused on right now. But, yeah, I agree. This this goes far beyond what you're getting on the field level right now with the Phillies. And Gabe was asked about it after the game uh, yesterday. You know, we mentioned their inability to hit consistently with runners in scoring position, to push across runs in key spots. Uh, the Sean Rodriguez double play yesterday kind of sticks out in, in the latest game. And we said, you know, what is it? Is there one thing? And he says, no, I I honestly think it's a combination of things. It's a a variety of things. And you kind of just read the the facial expression. You read the body language. And I think that he sort of is out of answers. I I don't think that they have a grasp on what the specific issue is or how to fix it. Yeah, It's not even just that Gabe is out of answers. I think that the whole organization is out of answers, Bob. And, you know, we thought – Maybe last year, you know, at the end of the year, there was it was kind of like an underrated story, but we talked about it on the pod at the end of last year that you know they, they made a lot of changes to their staffs uh, of the minor league system because they didn't like what was being taught. There was a, there was a real um, yeah, and they brought difference in, the, in philosophy. They brought in right? the drive line guys, and that's kind of like next wave, right? They, they wanted to kind of go to that next tier, and they kind of changed the way players were approaching hitting. 
And now you look at it, another year's gone in, gone by, or almost another year's gone by. There's inconsistent hitting at the major league level with with a couple of lone exceptions. Like right now, uh, I mean, Alec Baum has been like the, the story of the of the year in the minors for the Phillies. And, you know, Mickey Moniak is hitting right now for the, the minor league level. But other than that, you're not seeing much development of hitters in the minor league level with this new this new approach it makes you wonder is the organization on the right track here at all i will say this is in a way to kind of push back against that idea like you're talking about players like bryce harper jt romuto cesar hernandez who's who's been around for a while these are quasi-established major league hitters and i know that there's this idea out there that the phillies kind of have provided information overload right to the hitters and that they're all out of whack and they're they're getting outside their element what they're comfortable with but at some point as a professional somebody that's been around the block a couple times you have to say I got to do what I do best now and I need to bear down in this spot and I can't say every time the Phillies don't come through with runners in scoring position or they strike out with a runner on third base or they they can't provide a sack fly when they need one or hit situationally in any capacity, I can't always just say it's on the organization. I can't say that some double-A hitting instructor is the reason that it's not happening at the major league level, especially when you have guys that are coming in from other organizations. Like, you don't just lose it that quickly. Like, Bryce Harper didn't sign with the Phillies and then fundamentally become flawed as a hitter through 110 games because of what the Phillies have have done to taint him. I don't believe that. No, he was fundamentally flawed as a hitter before he even got (laughs) here. (laughs) But, I mean, so, yeah, I I do. Like, you know, Gabe said it's a variety of things. I I agree with that in the sense that it's on the players. Um, I think that some of them are probably pressing. Some of them aren't that talented. Some of them are slumping. Uh, And then I do think it kind of extends up the ladder to the upper echelon of the organization as well. And and I think that, uh, you know, if if it doesn't get rectified, something's got to change. I mean, this team was kind of built to have the big inning, built to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And in a season in which you've had historic home run rates – they can't hit home runs. Yeah. They can sure give them up, but they can't hit them. And <laughs> which is which is fascinating to me. Bob. I mean, if you would have told me that these were the numbers at this point on August fifth, I would have said, you know, back on on April first, I would have said absolutely no way, no, no shot. shot, no right? shot. You so, would have thought they would have been reversed, right? Right. I mean, maybe they're giving up home runs because I mean, you know, you know we were never really big on the pitching staff, um, you and I, but uh, maybe. On, the, on, on that, but we certainly thought they were going to hit a lot more home runs than they have. 888-728-9941 is a number if you want to get in, get on board and talk Phillies with us. But we got to dive into what happened Friday night, Bob, because aside from the fact that they didn't hit, aside from the fact that they blew chances to score runs in three innings before it went to extra innings, the big conversation with the Phillies has been what the hell happened with the pitching with the pitching situation that it ended up in the last two innings of the game in the 14th and 15th inning that you ended up having Roman Quinn pitching and Vince Velazquez in left field. And, and I'm going to ask you to explain it to me first, Bob, because then I want to break it down individual, like step by step and show you where they made many mistakes to get to that point and cost themselves that or the team, not just Gabe, the team cost themselves the organization a win yeah it was a variety of things that that kind of transpired in that game I think that you start I think the starting place is anytime a team from top to bottom leaves 15 men on base I know that you want to make this a Gabe thing and I know and and rightfully so go ahead go ahead it's fine I'm not going to sit here and try to maybe I will defend him a little bit but 
they left 15 guys on base. They did. You know, I mean, JT Romuto, first inning, does in a double play. Late in the game, multiple situations to break the game open in the seventh and eighth, failed to do it. You're right. Uh, and then in the extra innings, they were completely shut down by, a, you know, an average, a league average White Sox bullpen. So when you look at the offensive output, in 15 innings, I would, I would like my offense to produce more than three runs. And so we, we can get to Gabe and we'll talk about how that went down. But that, it has to be mentioned that they failed up and down the lineup on Friday night. Absolutely did. And isn't it amazing, by the way, we're talking about a game from, from two nights ago, three nights ago now? I mean, that's how ridiculous this game was. I mean, yep. people are going to talk about this when, when it's all said and done with Gabe Kapler, whether that's at the end of this season or five or six years from now, everyone will remember this game. Well, this, this is either the game where he woke up, like this was either the turning point for him or this was like the, 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 the nail in the coffin, the right? Nail, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know... You, I think what ends up happening is they have a chance to extend their lead in the eighth inning. Uh, bases loaded, one out, and they send up a pinch hitter. They don't score, so Nick Pavetta comes out of the game. The initial plan, Gabe said afterwards, was to, to use Pavetta for two innings in that spot to try to get the save. They had to go for it, I think, in that situation. Um, you know, And they end up taking him out of the game. They use the combination of, of Alvarez and uh, Nicasio in the, in the ninth, and it didn't work out, and then that's when all hell broke loose. And so you can walk us through that and what you think okay. about that. So I'm going to start before that. I'm going to start with Jason Vargas. Who, in his debut, had a, an okay start, I thought, right? It was a decent start for the Phillies. Hopping out at 82.7 miles well, that's, per hour. That's where I want to get to. Because this is what I want to get to. All right? So they take him out after six and a third. All right? He had only thrown 90 pitches. Now, sometimes 90 pitches is a little bit of wear and tear, especially if it's a guy who's throwing the ball 95, 96 miles per hour. But Jason Vargas does not throw that, the ball that hard. So 90 pitches for a guy who throws 82, 83 miles per hour, he's got a rubber arm. You could go to any high school in the area and find <laughs> two or three kids in a program <laughs> that can throw, throw that. harder than him. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. So they should not have taken Vargas out in the seventh inning. Let him finish the seventh inning. But they do take him out, which I disagree with. But when you're short, you know you're shorthanded one pitcher because Naris is suspended, okay? So, all right, we're short one pitcher. Let's we're gonna we're gonna pull the starting pitcher a little bit earlier than they should. That's mistake number one. Mistake number two. They bring in Mike Morin to finish that inning. How many pitches did he throw, Bob? Handful. Four. <laughs> he threw four pitches to finish out the seventh inning, and they didn't leave him in the game. Then they go to Pavetta. Why doesn't Mike Morin throw another inning, especially well, when you're shorthanded? It, Okay, fine. Okay. But do, you, do you want Mike Morin throwing that high leverage inning, or do you want to turn it? Over? If Nick Pavetta is going to be your new setup guy, right? Like this is your guy. Right. This is what you can entrust him with. I get it. I, to me, you have to go with him there. I, I, I was not as offended by going short with Vargas. You know, if ninety pitches is short, and I'm but not, it, I'm okay with Morin. But you know, okay. you go. To, so there's, but see, this is where two mistakes compound each other. If you go Vargas to finish the inning, you could still go to Pavetta in the eighth. And have Morin for later in the game. Instead of blowing Morin there, and then, all right, well, we want Pavetta to pitch the eighth and the ninth. I get it. Okay, fine. But at least you have another arm for later in the game. The fact is, you blew that chance. I'm, I'm okay with pinch hitting for Pavetta because they were trying to win the game there. I, they needed to hit and try to – fine. I'm all right with taking him out. But then you, it doesn't work, and you go to the ninth inning, and you got the one-run lead. Again, you're a short bullpen. You decide to use two guys to try and get through the ninth inning. 
Nicasio, and then uh, Alvarez. And he had said before the game that that was predetermined. That he said if we were going to use them, we were going to use them in combination. But why? Like, I How guess do they you just felt like they were going to pick their inning where they could mix How and match. How do you predetermine that? Hey, listen, I, I'm just telling you that that's, that's what they want to it's, do. That just doesn't fly for me, Bob. How do you predetermine that you're going to have an inning where these two guys are going to share the inning and it's going to be the right matchups that you want? Like, you don't know. You don't know who's going to come up in that inning. You don't know if the White Sox are going to have a pinch hitter available and one would be better than the other. Like, you don't know. But you know what they're going to tell you, too? And, and the guy, Matt Skull, that had the game-tying hit, it was like a 72-mile-an-hour duck fart out in the right field to tie it up. And they're going to yes. say, you know, oh, he induced weak contact. He did his job. In fact, that's what Gabe said. You know, he, he got weak contact. We just weren't lucky in that scenario. And, and, and like, yeah, so you can kind of chalk it up to bad luck if you want to, but Which I don't think fine. you're going to. You can chalk that up. You can chalk up giving up that hit and giving up that run to bad luck, but let one pitcher deal with it. Don't use two. Again, we're short in the bullpen, okay? Now, you use both of them. You get through the ninth inning. Now you go to extra innings. Blake Parker comes on, does nice work. He did a great job. Two innings. Threw the ball very well. Threw well. Did a good job for you. Now we get to Zach Eflin. Now Eflin, he's stretched out. He's been a starter all year. He throws two innings. Then they make him bat in the, what is that, the thir- 13th inning, I guess it was, that he, when he batted, okay? And then pinch runs for him. And the reason that we're told after the game is that Gabe says to Zach Eflin, how you feel? And he says he's feeling sore. Tricep soreness. That's right. He was a little sore, yeah. okay? So that's why Gabe doesn't want to risk an injury, taking him out of the game. Has- and and I'll, I'll just say this. Given what's happened to this bullpen over the course of the season, I have no issue with that. And if, if Zach Eflin really wanted to stay in the game and felt strong and felt confident in himself, he wouldn't have said, hey, I have a little tricep soreness. So, I, you know, I think there were some people that were like, well, you had Zach Eflin. He's a starter. He should have been stretched out. You know, they pulled the, the trigger too quickly to get him out of the game. I have no issue. If, if a player comes to me and says, well, you know, my, my tricep's a little sore, I'm going to say, well, given that, that I've had just absolute – calamity across the board with my bullpen this season, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spare you. I'm going to share the blame here because I think that Eflin deserves some of it. I, I really do. You don't just sit there and say, oh, I'm feeling sore. And, and especially when you know what, when you know what the situation is. You know is, what the situation right? is. It's not just like, well, you know, all things equal. We have another guy out there. I should probably come out of the game. He's looking around and going, it's, it's either me or it's, it's me or Roman Quinn. Yes. And so... You know, for him to say that he was sore in that spot, and, and maybe he was, but I, I'm not going to fault Gabe for that. But I would, you know where I will fault him for? How many times did Zach Eflin get up? Twice. He did get up twice. Yes, he got up twice. So that's the thing. So, like, if again, you're short in that pen, why are you getting a guy up and then putting him down and then getting him up a second time? And with, I'm going to couple that with, who pitched right before? Who pitched right before him was Parker, right? So, so Parker had no problems at all. Parker went; his two innings were really smooth. So, Eflin, when was he getting up? If you were tr- if you were planning on the Alvarez, Nicasio combination, and that was the predetermined before the game, why are you warming up Zach Eflin for no reason? Fair point. Okay. I mean, it's a fair point. All right. I, I will say this, and, and you and I had this conversation before the show. Right. You could debate this, and you could say, and again, I'll go back to how about score more than three runs? Just bottom line. Uh, how about someone step up? Someone bear done. down in a big spot. But, yes, the most egregious <laughs> thing that happened in this game. I'm getting to it. Go ahead. I'll let you have it. <laughs> I'm I'll getting to it. I'll let you have it. So, you can't. So, Ranger Suarez was not available. They did try to get him up. 
They tried to warm, get him warm. He couldn't get warm because he wasn't available. So who should have been available was the guy who was playing left field, Vince Velazquez. But he couldn't pitch because he had thrown his bullpen session before the game. Now, now, if it's me, and I know I'm shorthanded. You don't have Naris. Right? You don't have Naris. You need another sure arm. Alvarez. Let's, you know what, Vinny? Let's wait and see how this game goes. If it's a blowout either way, you could start throwing your bullpen in the seventh, eighth inning. No problem. Get you done. If, we, if it's a one-run game or close game, we go extra innings, I might need you for the game. So rather than throw your bullpen, you could throw in the game instead. So let's wait and see. And if we don't use you, throw your bullpen after the game. Yeah. And then, and then really the, the most bizarre thing of the entire night is after the game, <laughs> he walks in and he storms in and, and the press conference lasted two minutes. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, we fought, we clawed. He dropped a couple curse words, which we can't repeat because now we're on real live radio. Yes. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's all fired up. And my, my interpretation of his body language, my interpretation of what he was saying I don't think he really felt that they scratched and clawed and fought. I think the two guys did. I think Vince Velasquez did, and I think Roman Quinn did. Yeah. But other than that, I don't think that was the case whatsoever. I think that he was frustrated that he didn't get bailed out by his team. I think that he's also privately frustrated that he doesn't have the proper pieces to manage this team the way that he wants to. He wants to mix and match in the bullpen and be able to do it and not have to worry about navigating the fact that he has two former starting pitchers in his bullpen that he may not be able to use in back-to-back spots, guys that are transitioning out of the rotation. I think he's frustrated with what he's been given, and I think that privately, if you were to really get inside his head, he'll tell you that it's his job to fit all the puzzle pieces together and that he finds it to be exciting and a challenge. That's what he told us before the game yesterday. I'm telling you, I, I'm, I believe it in my heart, he is very frustrated by the hand that he's been dealt from this front office. That sucks. That sucks, Gabe. Yeah. Then figure it out. Because I just gave you five to six steps where one problem compounded the next to the next to the next to the next, and it wasn't well thought out. But we'll talk about it more after the break. We're going to have my old partner from here at 610 ESPN Radio uh, join us onto the program. I, and you, and you know, I know our, our producer, Ro, uh, Ryan Lennox, is sitting in there like, oh, my God, I can't believe Rob Motti is going to be coming on your show. But he should know that you set this up. I did. Me. I was the one that this set this up. This was all you that yeah. set this up down at the, down at the ballpark. So I had nothing to do with it. Uh, but Rob Motti will be joining us to talk about the Phillies because he's down there with you all the time. Uh, and he's got some interesting takes on this. And he's got an interesting story with – Charlie Manuel that you uh, that you saw them talking uh, up in the press box. So he's going to talk about that with us as well. So to come back after the break, uh, 888-728-9941, and hear Rob Motti talk with me and Bob here on Crossed Up on 610 ESPN Radio. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775... We have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. 
Introducing the YMCA. What, you already know the Y? Or so you think. Sure, you know the Y for a swim, a workout, even a game of hoops. But did you know we're more than that? We're a cause. When you take your jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Take a cardio class while kids are in an after-school enrichment program. Practice your downward-facing dog as a teen practices her leadership skills. That's the why. We work with people no matter their age, income, or background and give them the opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive, all with one simple goal in mind, to strengthen our community. And we've got so much more that does just that. So while you might think of the why as that place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. Introducing the why. We're so much more than a place. We're a cause. Visit ymca.net slash more. And we're back here on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, which is no longer a podcast or no longer just a podcast, as we are here on 610 ESPN Radio in Philadelphia. Bob Wankel, Anthony Sanfilippo uh, with you every Monday from 5 to 6. And we're going to be joined now by another 610 ESPN personality, my good friend and uh, AP writer for the Phillies and the Eagles, but we're talking just Phillies today. Rob Motti is on the air. How you doing, Rob? Well, what's up, guys? Welcome to the uh, home of Faith on the Field show, 610 ESPN. He had to get get the plug in. He couldn't wait. He couldn't wait. Like, he he knows I'm going to give him time to plug his other stuff. Nah, you you give him plenty of time to plug. Rob went right for it the first 30 30 seconds of the the interview. Listen, I, I walked off the beach. I'm sitting in a car now sweating with no air condition on so i figured i I might want to try and cut it short at the end i got to get my plugs in oh okay that's fair that's That's fair fair. that's fair well you're on the beach so you're actually enjoying yourself right now which has to be different from uh what you were doing this past weekend right yeah that it's bad baseball anthony uh it, it is bad baseball to watch and this weekend was pretty pathetic when you lose two out of three to a dreadful team and yet, because of the mediocrity in the National League, the Phillies are still tied for that second wild card spot, a half game out. And I think at the end of the season, the final week of the season, they'll still be there. And if they fall short, we'll be lamenting games like Friday night. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't think the National League is going to let the Phillies fall out of this race. I mean, you look at the, what these teams have done over their last 10 games, and like we're hyper-focused on the Phillies, right? And, and their shortcomings and what they're not doing. But you look at Washington, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Milwaukee, 4-6. and six. Arizona, 5-5. Five and five. San Francisco, 4-6. and six. Really, nobody other than the Mets. The Mets, out of nowhere, who've won 9 out of their last 10, right? I mean, nobody in the NL is playing that well. And look out for those Mets, Bob. I, I think this team, with the uh, addition of Marcus Stroman, and they just have, they have the pitching. They've been inconsistent offensively. They've been plagued by injuries. Look out for the Mets. You never, you never know what's going to happen here. But like you said, the other teams are not going to allow the Phillies to fall out of it. It would take another dreadful collapse for the Phillies to fall out of it like last year. I don't think this team is going to fall that way like they did last year, 15 games over 500 to finishing with a losing record. Uh, they're gonna. It's 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 a year where 86 wins will probably get you a wild card berth, and normally I think it's like 88, 89, and and this is a, a year where there's some people want to say there's a lot of parity. I like to call it mediocrity, but 
the bottom line is this. This team is not good enough. Even if they get that wild card spot, and they even if they win that game to get in, they're going to face the Dodgers in the first round, and they're going to lose. So, yeah, it will be great if they get that experience. They get in, and people want to liken it to, well, in 2007, they got in. They got swept by the Rockies. They won a World Series in 08. I don't care if this team gets in, gets swept by the Dodgers. I don't see them winning the World Series next year unless they do some drastic things to shake up this roster. So the word on the street is is that you're a little bit of a Gabe Kapler backer like myself. I'm, I'm kind of pro-Gabe. I think that this is more on the players. I think it's a little bit more on the organization than it is on the manager. Um, what did you think about Friday night? Uh, you know, I mean, he, he took a lot of heat for how that game kind of transpired. What was your, your assessment of that game on Friday? I think, Bob and Ant, every single game you can scrutinize decisions by a manager maybe 15, 20 times a game. From before the game starts, you could just look at a lineup and go, well, why is he starting this guy? Why is he batting this guy there? And I said this last night on, on my show, uh, I think like in sports, baseball managers more so than any other coach uh, in any other sport are second-guessed more than anyone else. So when you look at a Friday night, yeah, it's easy to say, well, he used Roman Quinn to pitch in a tie game. It's his fault, and he should have known, and he shouldn't have done this. But you had your three, four, five, and six hitters go two for 24 and leave 16 men on base. You, you had three times in that game bases loaded with one out and don't score a run. At some point, and I give credit to Matt Klintak, who said after the trade deadline had expired, for us to get where we have to go, our stars need to be stars. And then the next day, Gabe kind of reiterated that. I think that's the first time they actually put some accountability on these quote-unquote stars. Because I don't think they really have any superstars on this team. They have some good players and very good players. They don't have a real superstar. I don't care what Bryce Harper is getting paid to be. He's getting paid like a superstar. He's not performing like a superstar. I think you look at what they did that night, two for 24, Harper, Hoskins, Romuto, and Scott Kingery. I blame those guys for that loss before it even gets to the hands of Gabe Kaplan. Amen. Here's the thing, Rob. You're not wrong that they should have won the game long before it got to the manager. But when it got to the manager, he didn't really come up big, now did he? Because there were several mistakes, and I outlined them just before you came on. I, I, I'm, you said you came off the beach, so you didn't hear me break it down. But I went through almost every pitching change, and with the exception of, I think, two, I, I, I had a problem with what they did. Um, at some point, you have to have a better understanding of how to manage the bullpen. And I know you're going to give, I, and because I, we've talked before the show, so I know you're going to give a different answer. So I want you to explain to the listeners why I should not be mad at the manager for the disaster that was the bullpen breakdown and you need to use Roman Quinn in the 15th, 14th and 15th innings. I'll give you this. You should be mad at the manager for entrusting the bullpen to Chris Young, uh, the pitching coach. When you have a team coming into a game down their closer, Hector Neris was suspended, so they didn't have Hector Neris available. They had a 24-man roster. Their bullpen was short one guy. Adam Morgan was put on the injury list that day, so you're missing 
who was probably your second most consistent reliever. Now you have to go by closer by committee. And what some of the guys, I think one of the writers first mentioned this to me, and then I talked to the, uh, the 2009 group of Phillies who were assembled there Friday night or Saturday night, one of those nights, and, and got a little bit more into it. And they said Rich Doobie, when he was Charlie's pitching coach, he would have at some, at some points, not every game, but at some points when he knew their bullpen was either shorthanded or a couple guys were hurt, when a starting pitcher comes to the ballpark that day, and it's usually, uh, Bob, you can correct me if I'm wrong, two days after they start, they throw a side session, right, a bullpen session. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. That's what it is. So Vince, it was Vince's night to throw a bullpen, a side session. He came to the park, he threw it before the game, therefore he's unavailable to pitch. What would Doobie used to do in that case is he would have had a guy like Vince Velasquez say, hey, hold on, let's wait till the eighth or ninth inning, see how the game plays out. Because there's a chance if we need you, I'd rather you throw that side session in the game. Well, Chris Young didn't have that foresight. Gabe didn't correct him because he allows Chris Young to make those decisions. And we saw how it played out. Vince Velasquez was healthy enough to go into the game and play left field and uncork two throws from left field, which I thought without any warm-ups could probably do more damage to him than pitching again. But he wasn't available to pitch at all because he threw his side session before the game. So that's where I put it on. Instead of Gabe Kapler, I put it on the pitching coach. you got to know these things. There's no reason why Vince Velasquez has to throw that side session at 445. He could wait in, until the eighth or ninth inning, see how things are playing out. And in that game, I would have used him to close. Say, hey, you know what? Here, we need, we need you to throw your side session to close out this game. So that, that's where I put the, the blame for those decisions had to come from the pitching coach not having the foresight to know, this is what I have to work with tonight. This is where I may need help. Yeah, ultimately, the manager has to be the final say, the final call. And, and I think what's going to be the undoing of Gabe Kapler here is his, his loyalty to John Maley and his loyalty to Chris Young. And you and I have talked about John Maley, the hitting coach, and how everybody seems to take a step backward. And at some point, they're going to have to come to Gabe and say, it's either them or you or all of you. So, so Rob, let me, let me ask you then, what, what do you do? Like, so they have 50 games left, basically. Do you, do you fire one of these guys, both of these guys now, and, and, and say, you know, Gabe, we're not going to get rid of you yet, uh, but we got to make some changes with your staff? Do you clean house altogether and hope that a, a different voice can spark something with this team? Because... I'm in agreement with you that they're just not good enough and they're not playing well enough. And I don't think that the voice is necessarily going to change the trajectory of this season. So what do you do? Well, when, when you look at the, the totality of the offense being what it is, and they are all underperforming for the most part, with the exception of Andrew McCutcheon, who had a pretty good season before he got hurt, they're all underperforming. They're all not playing up to the back of their baseball card. I think this is the point in the season where, hey, you're a half game out of the first spot. You're tied for the second spot. You need to do something drastic. Shake it up and fire your hitting coach. And you know what? Here's the problem, though. They have an assistant hitting coach, Pedro Guerrero. Not that Pedro Guerrero, but the younger Pedro Guerrero. <laughs> so if you fire Maley and you promote Guerrero, and I think they need to bring a hitting coach in from the outside. And listen, you know what? They have a hitting coach who is within the organization, who's had tremendous success, who's the winningest manager in franchise history, 
who's a guy who could teach those guys a few things. And they have him come to spring training as a guest instructor. But you know what? He's not allowed to tinker with their swing or talk hitting with them. Uh, so perfect, an, an, perfect yeah, segue, right? Incredible, so, right? It would be an incredible thing to have Charlie take over. It's not going to happen. But why not? You need something like that. I mean, that even if it even if it was, and I'm going to let Bob get to his thing in a second. But even if it was just for the last 50 games, yeah. And, and say no, 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 he's not coming back next year. He's just like a Paul Owens kind of thing in 1983 for the right. older listeners of the program, right? I mean, he came in. And they fired Pat Corrales in July. He was manager. The team was in first place when they fired him. And Paul Owens came in. He didn't keep managing the team. He finished out the year, and that was it. Well, if you're going to do it, that, then you might as well just fire Gabe Kapler and replace him with Charlie Manuel because yeah, the shadow and, and is going to be so crazy. big at that point. I mean, so maybe go to Milt Thompson. Maybe go to one of one of the guys who had that same kind of hitting philosophy. Right? You go to one of those guys as opposed to the the launch angle theorists out there. So I wanted to ask you, uh, before the game on Saturday night, we're down in the, the press room, and you are over in the corner talking to Charlie Manuel, and he's, I, I see him, and he's, like, he's got a bat in his hand. You know, he's, he's going through swings, and he's, he's just talking and talking. And, I mean, you guys weren't even really asking anything. Charlie just went. You know, it, what was that conversation like? I mean, it, it looked pretty interesting from across the room. I think Rob was probably just asking Charlie for advice for his softball swing. That's all that was. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'll tell you what. Charlie has done more more wonders for my softball swing. Than <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but I, I, I got him started with this because I've always been a down and through Mike Schmidt philosophy on hitting. Swing down and through. And you didn't really see that in softball because it's a different ball game. Right. But in baseball, I believed in down and through, right? Swing down. And so I said to Charlie, I, you know, that was Mike Schmidt's philosophy. I know what your philosophy is. What did you think about launch angle? And, and it actually surprised me. And what he said made a lot of sense. He said, I do believe in launch angle. But for me, it's chop wood or down and through. Chop wood to point of contact. Then it's launch angle once you make contact. Because if you think about it, even when you do a down and through swing, on your follow through, you're coming up. That's where your launch angle comes in. He said where guys are going wrong is one, they're going up to the plate trying to hit a home run every time, and that's the mindset. And therefore, they're uppercutting everything. And they're dropping their shoulder, and they're coming from down up rather than down, point of contact, swing through, launch angle right there. So he's not anti-launch angle, but he believes that the launch angle should come where you want to get under the ball after you've made the contact, deliver, and follow through. I'm over here sitting in my car with people staring at me trying to do this. It kind of <laughs> looks weird, but I think you guys are baseball guys. You understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. And, Rob, you know what I've, I, the most amazing thing about you to, in this call has been? Uh, because yeah. you got Bob to say amen earlier. And I'm going to say amen to this one, right? So you you've been able to to, to play both sides of the fence brilliantly. I got to give you a lot of credit for that. And you know where amen comes from? Faith on the field show. That's right? faith on the field show. That's <laughs> two plugs for one. Two plugs in one call. Rob Motti, thank you for calling in to Crossed Up Phillies Phillies podcast now on 610 ESPN Radio. And I'm sure we'll talk to you down the road as well. And hey, anytime you know you want to have us chime in on on any of your programs. By all means, don't you know? Don't hesitate to reach out. Both Bob and I are available uh, for you, and we'll promote. I'm, I'm all for it. And we'll all for it. I appreciate it, guys. Good luck, and uh, I I know this is going to be a f phenomenal show for sure. Thanks a lot, Thanks, pal. Rob. Appreciate it. That's Rob. That's Rob Motti. And so when he when we go on his show, Bob, now every time, 
and it's even if he's on even if he's on the sister station on the FM dial 97.5 right uh, even if we're going there we answer the call say hey Rob uh, we're you know you've you listened to Crossed Up lately or you know check in with Crossed drop Up drop the plug immediately immediately yeah. drop yeah. the plug immediately immediately but we'll get to uh, we'll get to some more Philly stuff we'll take uh, one more break and then we'll wrap it up uh, in the, the final segment uh, if you want to call in 888-728-9941 you're listening to Crossed Up with Bob Wankel and Anthony Sanfilippo here on ESPN Radio 610. At any given moment, somewhere in America, a baby is taking a first step, a developmental milestone. But for too many parents, a baby's first steps aren't just a milestone. They're a miracle. These are the parents of babies who were born prematurely or with birth defects. It's a crisis affecting more than half a million babies in the United States each year. You can help them by joining volunteers like you who walk in March for Babies. The money you raise funds research and local programs that help babies overcome the challenges of premature birth and birth defects. Together, our steps make stronger, healthier babies a reality for thousands of families. Sign up today at marchforbabies.org to take the steps that help make milestones and even miracles possible. Who will you march for? They just told us right away that we're going to house you, we're going to feed you, and every single one of his medical bills is just all taken care of. They've saved my family from financial ruin. It allowed me and my wife both to focus on the most important thing, which was the health and well-being of our son. We have phenomenal research, outstanding clinical care, and the generosity of public, which allow us to treat patients regardless of what it takes. And that's what makes St. Jude so magical. At St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because the only thing a family should worry about is helping their child live. Doctors send us the toughest cases to be treated at St. Jude, and our patients come from all over the world. When we come here, they told me, don't worry, everything's been taken care of. We could never repay St. Jude for what they've given us. Because of you. Gracias a ti. Because, because of, of you. you. There is St. Jude. Welcome back into Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast now airing on 610 ESPN Radio Philadelphia. Bob Wankel and Anthony Sanfilippo here with you uh, talking all things Phillies. And it's, there's a lot to talk about right now. And I know, Bob, you wanted to, you had asked Rob Motti right before the break about what he would do with the managerial situation, the coaching situation in the organization. Um, I th- I think that if you if if you're the Phillies right now and you're still committed to this basically this all in into 2019 like they did they they said at the beginning of the year you know they were going to try and be a, a winning organization they were going to compete for division title and go to the playoffs and potentially the World Series if you still believe in yourself that way then I think you need to make a major change of some kind now Right now, but if you don't believe in yourself that way, if you think, yeah, we miss we misread this a little bit, we have to we have to fix it in the off season, then there's no reason to make a change now, and you just wait to make any kind of change in the off season. I go back to uh, when Bryce Harper signed here and, and talked about why he came here, and we obviously know that the dollar figure at the end of the day was the determining factor, but it was this promise that the Phillies were going to be aggressive and that they were going to do everything in their power to be a winner not only this season but in the future, then, then you can't punt on this season. 
And so I'm not in the business of, of calling for anybody's job. That, you know, I'm not like, hey, fire him. He had a bad game. He yeah. had a bad month. But they have to do something. And what we know is that they cannot overturn this roster any further. The only move that you can make, to me, is you, you have to do something about the approach at the plate, the voices in the hitter's ears. And I think that though it may be a, a hollow move, it may be more of a sending a message or you know sacrificial lamb, so to speak, I think that that's the most logical move. And the one that could actually have some impact on the field and, and maybe change their inability to hit in big spots and, and play situational offensive baseball. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so if you believe in that, and I'm not saying you have to fire the manager, uh, you, can, you can make the, the same impact by making a change with the, the hitting coach or the pitching coach. Because I'll tell you what, if what Rob said is true and Gabe is handed over the reins completely to Chris Young and he's hands off, punches pilot, man, wash, washes his hands of this thing, right? All right? If that's the way he's approaching it, then what happened Friday night is so egregious that Chris Young should not have a job today. Okay, so that that's the way I look at it. So if you want to make the changes to those assistant coaches, that that would be a good place to start. Yes. And I thought it was interesting. Alumni weekend, pretty good weather throughout all three nights, Friday, Saturday, and then, and, you know, obviously Sunday afternoon. You have the 2009 team back in town for the, the tail end of the weekend. Chase Utley's there, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard. You have Bobby Abreu getting inducted into the Wall of Fame on Saturday night. And you look out at the seats. And they had 26,000 out there on Friday night, which is a little light on mm-hmm. a Friday night in early August. I know it's the White Sox. They had, what, 32 on Saturday? I don't know their 32 were in the house, but for an Aaron Nola start on a beautiful summer night, it seemed a little light. And then, I got to say, yesterday? 31, right? Yeah, 31. And I got to say, like, they were going through the, the, the pregame stuff, which they always do a really good job with, a great ceremony, all the faces that you'd want to see back in town. And it just looked a little sparse out there to me. A lot of blue seats. And I just wonder if the ownership group looks at this and says, you know, I don't know if it's the hitting coach's fault. I don't know if it's the pitching coach's fault. I don't know if it's Gabe Kapler's fault. But what I do know is that this was supposed to be a really fun season, an exciting season that brought baseball, meaningful baseball, back to this city for the first time in a long time. And people are checked out. You know, there, there is no excitement around this team right now. There's not a belief that they're going to turn it around. This is the most miserable team that I've ever seen that's been five games over, the, over 500 and currently possesses a, a spot in the playoffs. And people talk about this team. You and I are, are guilty of this. We talk about this team like they're 15 games under 500 and it's been a, a complete dumpster fire. And it hasn't been. I mean, they're a decent team. But the air has just been completely sucked out of the balloon here. It's just not very fun right now. Sounds very familiar. Didn't we do this last year? Yeah, but they weren't supposed to be good last year. But we, we but they were, weren't but, supposed but we to all, be good. You're right year. about that. But we also didn't like them last year. Yeah, They were not a likable team last year. And they're not a likable team again this year. So to and me, I don't mean, and I, yeah, I don't think you mean like terms of personality. personality right. No, there are a lot of good guys down there. I'm sure. But right. It's no. not a fun product to watch. Right. As far as yeah. on field product, right? Yeah. So if they're not fun last year, they made a lot of changes and they're not fun this year. What does it tell you about the not, where the not fun part of things comes into play? And again, this does not, this is not just the manager. To me, this goes upstairs too. Yeah. This falls, I, Matt Clintack has been, to me, has not done anything of, 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 of real worth. Yeah, we haven't really talked a lot about him specifically today. Yeah. Uh, those of you that listen to the podcast and, and have for the last you know year plus, you know, you know I, I kind of feel that ultimately this this season 
and their shortcomings sort of fall at his feet. I, I truly believe that if I'm doing the, the power rankings of blame, yeah. I, I think it's there. Um, so, you know, we've spent ample time assigning blame, talking about what's gone wrong. Now we kind of have to turn the page and look ahead. Uh, one thing that the Phillies have kind of done this season that's, that's been to their credit, I guess, is they have these embarrassing losses. You know, it looks like the bottom has completely fallen out, and we talk and we're like, oh, this, this could be the end. But then they kind of find a way to stabilize. They don't get hot. They, they can't ever seem to really sustain their success, but they stabilize. And so now they head out to Arizona, and they play a Diamondbacks team that, that just traded Zach Granke away but has a plus 71 run differential this season. They should be a lot better than they are. Uh, and you got Vince Velasquez on the mound, who's uh, only lasted six full innings one time in 13 starts this season. He's pitched pretty well by Vince Velasquez's <laughs> standards in his last six starts. Uh, he has an ERA under four, uh, whip low ones. I believe it's like a 1.1 whip. He's striking out over 10 per nine innings, and he's limited his walks. He's been decent when he's been out there. Obviously, the problem is he's averaging essentially five innings per start, and he can't keep the ball in the yard. Uh, he's averaging over uh, two home runs allowed per nine innings over his last six starts as well. So is that, is, is that, that supposed to be a positive? Uh, you know, I'm just saying, <laughs> I guess what I would tell you, here is the positive. And we talked about this last week on our show when we did the podcast. Vince Velasquez is, is not going to be a guy that you can say, hey, we're, he's going to give a seven strong tonight. You know that, right? Yeah. But what he's been able to do lately is give you five, five plus innings, kind of hold the opposition in check. He gives you a chance. And if he was your five starter and you had better starting pitching ahead of Vince Velasquez, I don't know that we would feel so negatively about what he's been doing this season as a starting pitcher. He's been okay, you know, and, and, and I know that's not a ringing endorsement, but he's been okay, and he's been okay now for about a month and a half. But here's the thing. I, I would be okay with a guy who could keep you in a game that only throws five innings if I felt comfortable about the four innings that followed after him. Right. There's nothing to feel right. comfortable, comfortable about. Okay, Hector Naris is back tonight. All right. That's a an okay piece in the pen, and you got you know I guess Pavetta, you know is in there. Uh-huh. We'll see. He was giving up a couple couple home runs. Is it's not been great in the bullpen. Yeah, it was good Saturday. Night, yeah, he's, right? he's been off goal. and on. Yeah. What else? Like, yeah, I mean, like, I what I else? Hear you. Mike Morin, how did he look yesterday? <laughs> it should be interesting to kind of get an up close look at one of these other teams that's sort of just dragging their feet through this wild card race. You yeah. know, if you want to call it a wild card race, Arizona playing basically 500 baseball over the last two weeks. They have not been successful at home. They're actually below 500 at home this season. Phillies have not been a great road team. They've been better lately. They're actually starting to pull back closer to the 500 mark when they're on the road. One thing that they're going to have to figure out tonight uh, and really throughout the course of this week, they play three in Arizona and then they head out to San Francisco for four games. They've got to find a way to beat NL West teams on the road, which is something that they have not been able to do this season and really both seasons under Gabe Kapler. They're three and seven this season against the NL West on the road. uh, And then they're actually seven and 20 overall against NL West opponents on the road under Gabe Kapler dating back to obviously the start of last season it it has not gone well when they've headed west and they really need to they need to have a good week here you know I don't want to say that they have to go above 500 but after losing the series that they just lost to the White Sox you figure there's enough teams in this wild card race that somebody eventually is going to get hot and seize control maybe it's the Mets they're coming obviously the Phillies have to get going here and, and to me they have to have a winning road trip well yeah <laughs> I mean, absolutely, uh, and they're going to face three interesting pitchers in this uh, this this set in, in Arizona. Uh, Merrick Kelly, who 
it's not been great this year, but he in one game he was great was against the Phillies earlier this year. Yeah, earlier this year he went uh, seven and two thirds innings. He only allowed three hits, no runs. Uh, he was he was fantastic, and he didn't walk anybody. And, and one thing about Merrill Kelly, real quick, he's been terrible lately. Last two starts against the Marlins and Orioles, he's given up fourteen earned runs combined, seven in each start. So he's really struggled lately, but he's been pretty solid. And he's been pretty good at home, sub four ERA. Uh, and he doesn't walk anybody. He has a 59 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio at home this season. So, That's crazy. So the Phillies are a, a patient team by nature. I don't think they should be standing around with the bats on the shoulders too much tonight because Merrill Kelly does not issue free passes. Right. And then tomorrow, you got Mike Leak, uh, who just, you know, the Diamondbacks just brought in at the deadline from uh, Arizona, kind of as the replacement for Granky. I mean, not that he's as good as Granky, but he's, you know, a veteran pitcher. Who's you know actually had an okay year? There was some talk that the Phillies might be interested yeah. in Mike Leake. Big salary didn't cost much, that type of deal. But yeah, they'll they'll see Mike Leake uh, up up front and right. And then they get uh, the interesting. The one that's really interesting to me is I thought one of the most under the radar trades from uh, the trade deadline was between Arizona and Florida. Well, you don't normally see teams trade prospect for prospect, and the Diamondbacks and Marlins did that when the Diamondbacks sent uh, Jazz Chisholm to uh, the Marlins uh, in exchange for Zach Gallen. Um, and Zach Gallen has looked legit. I mean, in seven starts this year, uh, 2.72 ERA, 1.18 whip, 43 strikeouts in 36 innings. Local kid, South Jersey. Yeah. Man, Bishop Eustace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, like, that's another one that's going to be interesting to me. So I think the Phillies are facing three different type of pitchers. Um, in this series, and all three guys who could give them a hard time. So uh, before we close out, I think we have about, what, five minutes left yeah, or so? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Mike Alfranco. Obviously, uh, news came down before the game yesterday that, that Mike Alfranco had been optioned to AAA Lehigh Valley. Uh, I found out while we were uh, down in the Phillies dugout before the game. It popped up on the phone, and I, I have to be honest with you, Mike Alfranco has not had a very good season, and, and he's been certainly a disappointment overall. I was stunned i don't know that i should have been stunned but i was very taken aback when i had seen the news uh that he had been sent down what was your take on that what was your reaction my reaction is look i mean mike Calfranco's not been good we know this we've talked about it and and i get it but really is mike Calfranco n- less valuable to this team than sean rodriguez i mean i know sean rodriguez apparently hits lefties whatever dude he does not belong on this team and I never compared it to Franco to Brad Miller. I don't think that's the I don't think that's the correlation. I think the correlation is Sean Rodriguez. Yeah, I think Franco to me is much more likely to come off the bench and hit a home run than Sean Rodriguez is. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about this. So Gabe comes out and says, We made the move because Sean gives us more versatility. He can play shortstop a little bit, he can play third base, he can play in the outfield as well. And also, and he's right. I mean, the numbers back this up. Michael Franco has not hit left-handed pitching this season. Sub 700 OPS against left-handed pitching. I believe he's hitting only 196 against lefties this season. Sean Rodriguez, on the other hand, came into yesterday's game hitting 306 against lefties with a 973 OPS. 300 points higher than Michael Franco against lefties. So I get it when you factor in the versatility and you factor in what he's been able to do. Although it, it really, and I said this to you kind of jokingly before the show, it, I don't remember Sean Rodriguez getting a hit this season. <laughs> you know, I've watched pretty much every game. I just can't really remember. Like, oh, none, none of them have stuck that out. Sean right? came through. But, you know, how about yesterday, the way that it plays out? The Phillies are down 5 nothing. They scrape one across in the fifth. They get two in the sixth. They're mounting their comeback. They go first and second, one out, bottom six. 
and the White Sox call in Aaron Bummer, lefty. And so the Phillies counter with who? Sean Rodriguez. And what's he do? He comes up and he bounces into a 6-4-3 inning-ending double play, and the game was never in question after that. And so of all days, right on the heels of the Franco decision to kind of demote him and to keep Rodriguez in town, you get that play. It's just kind of been, you talked about the, uh, the idea that last weekend or this past weekend was a microcosm for the Philly season. That instance, that, that sequence right there was sort of a microcosm for what this team's been going through lately. So you, you gave his numbers, right, against, against lefties. And what are they again? Just one more time. Just, let's, let's just throw them out there. Yeah, he's under time. 200 and he's uh, well under 700 in terms of OPS. No, no, not Michael Franco. Oh, Sean Rodriguez. Sean, Sean Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Oh, he was hitting 306 coming into yesterday with a 973 OPS. Okay. So my question then becomes to you, comes that I have for you is this. What is that based on? Like, uh, what kind I, of a sample I believe size? like 36 at bats. 37 at bats. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, come on. Yeah. What's the justification? Well, for the conspiracy theorists out there, uh, you know, Sean Rodriguez and Gabe Kapler We're played teammates, with one right? another. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, teammates. if you really want to go there, I don't think that that's it. I, no. I think that they're in the business of trying to win games. But, yeah, uh, so maybe it's the versatility aspect of it. Obviously, Mike Kell can only play third base. I, I and will, can play first. He can play first, too. Yeah, for, for all the times that Reese is going to come out of the game. Well, right? I'm just saying. I mean, if but, you know, I will say this now. For people that kind of feel sorry for Mike L. Franco, I, I threw out a stat before we got started today. He was 69th. Out of 77 qualified hitters in the National League yeah. this season oh, he's not been in OPS. Yeah. And he was 135th out of 144 qualified hitters across all of baseball. So, I mean, 702 OPS, it's, it's, I think it's sort of time to turn the page. Scott Kingery's probably not best suited to play third, but you've seen that he's been flexible enough that he can probably play an adequate third They have to move on from Michael Franco. And it's a shame because he's very popular in that clubhouse. Uh, You know, I think that some of his teammates were probably pretty upset at what happened yesterday. Uh, But I think that the Phillies just have to kind of move on past him at this point. And he'll be back. You know, he'll be back back September 1. September 1, or if somebody gets hurt and the way the season's gone and progressed, it's it's entirely possible he's back before September 1st. But I I think you have to kind of – you can't be tricked again by his – a five or six game stretch where he knocks three or four out of the park and, and carries you for, for a weekend or, you know, for a series or two. It's just, he's not consistent enough. Too much ground ball contact to the left side, too much, there are too many weak pop-ups. I, I mean, I agree. I mean, but I just think that he's a, I just think he's better than Sean Rodriguez. That's all. Yeah. Hey, one last thing uh, real quick, because I know we're going to wrap this up in a minute. I just, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, you were probably down, you were down at the game. So you didn't, I don't know if you heard this, um, but they interviewed Pedro. Martinez um, during the game. Uh, I guess you know, uh, Murphy had him you know, just talking to him for a second. And, uh, and Pedro was talking about the baseballs. And he was talking about, and what I thought was the most interesting thing about that he said was, he said, when I used to hold the ball, the way I used to grip the ball, I used to be able to keep my fingers inside the seams. You can't do it anymore the way that they make the ball now. He says, and when I autographed the ball, I used to be able to fit my name and what I used to put underneath it. You can't fit that anymore. He said, so the ball itself is a different ball, not just what might be inside the ball, but the ball itself, the way it's stitched and everything is different. This uh, year. I mean, Rob Manfred says it's not. So Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, he's the only one that's saying it's not. By the way, you see Roman Quinn on Friday night, 400 and whatever 400 plus feet second deck home run to right field I know. that tells you Come all you on. need to know that's about all the you need to know about he's the a strong kid but he's not that strong not that Come especially on. from the left side yeah. too where yeah. he doesn't really hit that yeah. well well hey bob this was a very successful first 
on-air broadcast, live broadcast of Crossed Up uh, here on 610 ESPN Radio. We'll uh, have to do this again next Monday at 5 o'clock. So it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. I want to thank Ryan Lennox uh, for uh, being part of the program, for producing the show. Uh, stay tuned for uh, what the heck's it called again? Check Checkpoint. Checkpoint. That's Checkpoint. right. Which is the uh, eSports uh, here on 610 I ESPN Radio. I hear it's Radio. the future. The future. See you guys. <laughs>